Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas, already laughing with our guests. <laughs> and this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Broadway Curtain. Oh, and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Our guest this week has long been considered one of the greatest musical comedy performers on Broadway. His credits include co-starring in Applause with Lauren Bacall, Sweet Charity with Gwen Verdon, and Hello, Dolly! with Carol Channing. But perhaps he's best known as the perpetual juvenile Billy Lawler in 42nd Street, which not only earned him a Drama Desk nomination, but a Tony nomination as well. To tell us what it was like to work with such legends as Jerry Herman, Carol Channing, and Gower Champion, here is the only actor in history to play both Mr. Cornelius Hackle and Miss Dolly Levi, Mr. Leroy Reams. Hey. That's progress. <laughs> I'm a progressive actor. You are progressive. And I just saw the picture, and it's quite beautiful, I have to say, when you play Dolly just this well, year. Well, you know, I, I was so associated with the show. It happens to be one of my favorite shows. Mm-hmm. And I, it's a, such a strong book and such a strong score. And, uh, you know, it cemented my friendship with Jerry Herman and Carol Channing, which is responsible for a lot of my career. So it has a special place in my heart. But I also loved playing uh, Cornelius Hackle because it's such a a great part because he about, you know, going out in life and seeking adventure. Oh, yeah. You know, even if I have to spend the rest of my life, you know, as a a ditch digger I'll be a ditch digger who once had a wonderful day yeah I think that's such a good philosophy to have about life get out get up and do it it's such an optimistic a world outside of Yonkers maybe a world outside of Covington Kentucky it sure was which is where you're from yes when did you start taking dance well you know it's funny how one becomes because I consider myself really a song and dance man I think that's really what it is but I was lucky enough that I just did it as a kid Whenever music was on, I was in the middle of the floor singing and dancing. And I was the youngest of seven children. But my mother had five children, and then she had almost a nine-year, ten-year lapse. And then my sister came, and I came 16 months after my sister. So my sister and I were kind of reared as the only children because our brothers and sisters were older. And then during that period, my brothers were in the war or else they were out you know drinking and trying to get laid so they weren't (laughs) home a lot and uh, so I you know basically but I the music did it and I was fortunate enough to have a, a, a very bright mom who adored me and I loved her more than anything ever in my life and so she saw that that's what I did so in the newspaper they had an ad for a local dance school mm-hmm. and they said uh, they would give you, you sign up for so many lessons, you got a free pair of tap shoes, oh. and you would be in the recital. So my mom took me right up and put me in, and my niece, who was only two years younger than I, went too, and she joined up, and we went to dance school. How old were you? Uh, I was then maybe about five or six. Wow. And my niece was, you know, really, really little, but that's what everyone did. You went to dance school. Right, of course. It was part of the culture, especially in smaller towns. Whereabouts in Kentucky did you grow up? Covington. Covington, Covington Kentucky, yeah. Covington, yeah. Kentucky, which is the most northern city in the state. Ah. And the good thing is that it's across the river from Cincinnati. Cincinnati, Ohio. that's right, so close. So, you know, it's really considered a greater Cincinnati, which the people in Covington don't really like. <laughs> and the airport <laughs> in Cincinnati is in Covington. It's, that's right. That's, that's right. where you land when you come into Cincinnati. But anyway, uh, and it was a school, and there was a plaque that said 
tap toe, ballet, acrobatic, baton, ballroom, voice, personality, and culture. That's what the that's school. A, that's a school. <laughs> I want to go there. <laughs> and so anyway, that's the kind of school I went into. And so, you know, from, and that, that was just the plug-in. Right. I, I, I just naturally did it. Yeah. And so then I went through all the dance recitals and, you know, performing for all the clubs in the city. And yeah. After I graduated from high school, I got a call from uh, the... Cincinnati Zoo Opera. Ooh. Now it's now called the Cincinnati Opera, but it, the opera was done, if you can <laughs> believe this. There. This is funny. Yeah. In a pavilion in the center of the zoo. Yeah. But it was very prestigious. And all the Met people used to come to Cincinnati during the summer and sing all the great stars. You would hear the animals go, woo, woo. <laughs> yeah, in so... the background. So it was, but very, it was a very classy thing in Cincinnati. People dressed amazing. for it. Oh my god. You know, gosh. and that's before air conditioning. Yes, of course. And so they called and uh, they had the Cincinnati Zoo Ballet, which, you know, was part of the, the show. Sure. And so they knew that I had studied in Covington and they had heard of me and I was then seventeen and they said, Would you like to come and audition to be in the ballet? Mm-hmm. And of course they would pay you and you had to join Agva mm-hmm. to do it. So I went over and I was chosen to dance in the core. And so that's where I met a little girl named Suzanne Ficker. And so we became friendly. And she was younger than I, but she was in part of the ballet too. And so we became close during that summer. And then she said, uh, how would you like to come and study at my ballet school at the College Conservatory of Music? Because we rehearsed there. Oh. And I said, oh, that's fine. I said, but I, I don't think I can afford it. I can't afford the lessons. And she said, oh, that's all right. I can get you a scholarship. I said, well, what do I have to do? She said, well, uh, Marion LaCour, who's our instructor, <coughs> excuse me, comes mm-hmm. to the ballet and the opera, and she'll just look at you on stage. And, of course, she did and came back and offered me a scholarship. Now, wow. you know, that was too Amazing. But little did I realize they didn't have any boys in the school. And they would pay anybody to come they- in who could put one <laughs> front and the other to lift all those fat-ass ballerinas. <laughs> so, you know, because someone had to be there to partner and stuff. So, of course, they're going to give a guy a scholarship. I think there were like two or three of us in the entire school. So, you know, looking back on it, it wasn't such a big honor. But still, still in all, they in. pay. But a, but a big contralto jumped on my lap and bruised my testicles. And I had to leave because I couldn't walk. And it actually kind of made my testicles atrophy. That's why I've been able to sing high all these years. <laughs> That's an, what I, Thank that contralto for giving me my tenor the voice. Contra- so anyway. When you graduated, did you go right to New York from graduation? Well, I didn't have the money to. I had to work for a bit because uh, Paul Rulledge and I went to Europe after I graduated. Mm-hmm. And that was part of his present, too. He His present to me was, you know, a ticket, an airline ticket. And we mm-hmm. went to Europe for you know, a few weeks to see everything, and it was just great. And then I came back. And also, I mean, I have to tell this because it's very true. Paul Raleigh uh, uh, was a homosexual, Mm -hmm. but in a time where you couldn't be an open homosexual. But you would have never known he was a homosexual because he wasn't a stereotypical limp-wristed thing that people like to pigeonhole. He was an educated, charming, brilliant man who became my mentor he was that father that i never really had because my dad worked on the railroad and when he was home he was sleeping right. and when he wasn't he was working sure. and my brothers were never around so i never had that kind of you know mentor and also because he was so 
well-educated. I learned so much from him and also in the area where I was going to work. And he gave me all of this uh, training and gave me... So when I came to New York, I was a working professional. Mm -hmm. I was not a kid out of school. I had directed, I had choreographed, I had helped run theaters. Uh, Mr. Rutledge was going to come and drive me to New York. Amazing. So that kind of saved me because then I knew my family wouldn't break down and I wouldn't break down. So that gave me a reason. So I went up into the bathroom before I left and cried my eyes out because I knew I would never come home again. I knew it. So I cried my eyes out because I was saying goodbye to my family. Yeah. And I went out, but I was very stoic, and we didn't make a big scene in front of Mr. Rutledge, Dr. Rutledge. So I got into the car, and he drove me to New York. And now this is a longer story. We're going to go on forever. You're going to run out of tape. We're f- I went, picked up the newspaper backstage or show business, the, mm-hmm. the two of them, mm-hmm. read the one ads, and it was the Julia Prowse nightclub ad. Yes. They only needed one boy. So it was just for one dancer in her act, one of four, and she had the other three. So I went to the audition, and the choreographer was Ernest Flatt. What was interesting at the audition, this very handsome man, by the way, was standing on the side, and he was introduced, his name is Mark Mordo, and he was Juliet's manager. Okay. And while we're auditioning, he kept smiling at me and winking, and I thought, it's true. As soon as you get to New York, they all want They're you. All- <laughs> I'm going to have to put out to get the, the job. Flesh. Yeah, because you think he's, oh, he's smiling and yeah. winking. And so we were told at the end of the audition that uh, some of us would be called back the next day, and Juliet would be there, and we would begin rehearsal. The person chosen, mm-hmm. the one person chosen. And so to, if, if we got the call back, you had to be prepared to bring your clothes to stay for rehearsal. So I got a call that night and I came back and two of us were brought back Mm -hmm. and Juliet's tall now I'm between 5'11 and 6 feet at that time if I stretch up I'm 6 feet Mm -hmm. and Juliet was tall and in high heels she wore very high heels so you had to be a tall dancer the the other dancer was a good 2 inches taller than I and I thought well this is it I'm gonna he's taller and that's it no and of course Mark Mordo was still smiling and winking Mm -hmm. so you know I got the job (laughs) So then, of course, we're ready to rehearse, and Mark said, uh, would you like to go out and have breakfast? Uh-huh. And I said, uh, no, thank you. I'm yeah. here to rehearse. And, you know, <laughs> I knew how to stand by and all this and that. Oh, right. And actually, he was a very attractive man. Yeah. And so anyway, but I was, and he said, Juliet, I want to take the kid out to have breakfast. You mind, Julie? said, she looked at me kind of funny, and I thought, now she knows. So yeah. he said, she said, no, it's okay. So we went out to breakfast. We went to this place, and we sat down. And once we were served food, he started to eat. I knew he wasn't gay. Because gay men wouldn't eat like that. (laughs) So anyway, he went on. So I thought, oh, thank God he's not gay. I don't have to worry about that. And so he started talking. And he said, I, you know, I want to give you an idea. You know, we signed you to a contract. We want to let you know what the pay is because they didn't discuss pay yet. And he said, uh, so when we go, uh, we start you out at uh, 350 a week. And then when we get to Las Vegas, you'll be making 400 a week. And, of course, we pay for all of your transportation and your, you know. And back then, the Broadway salary was $125. Yeah. Gosh. I mean, I got home and I called my mom. I said, Mother, you're never going to believe this. They're paying me $350 a week to sing and dance. That's what some regional theaters are paying. That was big. And this is 1966. Wow. 65, sorry. Yeah. 1965. So that was that was good money. So here I was with you, Ju- and of course Juliet Prowse. Oh, oh my God. God, I fell and have remained in love with her my whole life. 
It's as good as it ever gets. Yeah. And I just loved her, and she spoiled me absolutely rotten. And, uh, you know, and of course, when we would go out, I didn't drink at all. Oh, wow. And uh, Juliet liked champagne, so I would have champagne with Juliet. And uh, she always picked up the check, mm. and I became her boy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was it. She spoiled me absolutely rotten, and we were in Vegas, and I'll never forget Betty Grable was doing Hello Dolly there. <laughs> and we couldn't see her because we were on the same schedule. But Sammy Davis threw a little party that Juliet was invited to, and she took me along as her escort. And we went to the party, and of course, Sammy Davis, first time I met him, didn't know he would be working with him, you know, yeah. really a year yeah. later in Sweet Charity. Uh, I, I want you to sit in my place. I want to sit with Juliet. And of course, I felt, you know, I'm with all these strange people. Right. But, and next to me was Betty Grable, who I definitely knew. She was like one of my favorite movie stars. So I sat next to Betty Grable, <laughs> lit her cigarette. She smoked like a chimney. And she was basically like a, a chorus boy. She had that kind of yeah. sense of humor. Yeah. And her boyfriend said nothing. He just sat there and smoked with her and said nothing. And he was her boyfriend from the show. He was in the chorus. And so I at least got to be with Betty Grable for a night. And But in, in, in Vegas, we always put Reynolds wrap over our uh, windows because at night, you did two shows, and the last show was like, you know, 11 o'clock at night. So then you would go out and eat after the last show, and all the restaurants were open all night long. Mm -hmm. Then when the act was over, I came back to New York, went back and got the papers again, opened it up, audition, Sweet Charity, mm -hmm. Bob Fosse, Gwen Verdon. Well, that was for me. So yeah. I went to the audition. And it's, it was an, I, because I love audition stories, especially for students. Oh, I think they, it's, oh, yeah. They know yes. Love so, uh, of course, at that time, I wore ballet tights because you couldn't get dance pants. They didn't make them commercially. Mm. So I wore ballet tights when I re rehearsed. And, of course, the kids in New York, there were people who made them for them, other right. dancers. So they, you know, would make the dance pants, but I didn't know that. I didn't have the contacts. So uh, I always wore ballet tights. So I went to the audition of ballet tights. Well, Bob Fosse didn't really like ballet dancers. And he also um, liked more character. Right. So as we start to audition, he doesn't pay attention to me because I'm in ballet tights. Right. He writes you off right off the... Well, yeah, he just yeah. paid no attention. But Gwen looked at me. Huh. And she was watching me, and she knew I could dance. And he had dismissed me. So I, you know, they're making cuts and cuts and cuts and people are being, and then, you know, the, the ones who were left, we all had to sing again. I mean, we had to sing. Mm -hmm. And then when I stood up and sang, uh, I saw Psychoma uh, jump up from his seat. What did you sing? Do you... I don't remember. Okay. I probably sang almost like being in love. That was, that was the... I probably, okay, yeah, cool, that's what cool, I cool, probably cool. sang. Yeah. And my ballad was always uh, Young and Foolish. Oh, yeah. I don't know why a young person would want to sing Young and Foolish. But, <laughs> but you did. I like the song, so what the fuck, what did yeah. I know? I sang it. But anyway, once yeah. I opened my mouth to sing, Cy Coleman jumped up out of his seat and ran to Bob Fosse. And so they kept picking people out, people down. And then suddenly we got down to the end, and a lot of the dancers were selected. I was at the bottom. Another guy and myself were brought out to read for a small part in the show called Young Spanish Man. Yes. And the other boy was Puerto Rican. So but what I had up my sleeve because I had a brilliant Spanish accent, and I could make the R's. So the line was, Senorita, Senorita, she's drowning in the lake. And he couldn't do it. He said, So I thought, look out, and that was it. Goodness. I got it. What was interesting during rehearsal, 
And I'm, now it's a brag session, but I'm going to Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. I can brag. Yeah. And uh, so during rehearsal, Fosse still wasn't liking me. Huh. I could tell I was not a favorite. And so he kept pushing me aside. And then once we got out of town, we went to Philadelphia mm-hmm. first and we did our first performance. Mm-hmm. And Bob Fosse came back at intermission and came in the dressing room and looked at me and I thought, oh, this is it. Mm-hmm. He's going to fire me. I, I thought, seriously, I thought he was going to fire me. And he looked at me and said, what were you doing out there tonight? Performing like that. You never did that in rehearsal. I couldn't keep my eyes off of you tonight. Every time you came out, I was watching you. My God, you were wonderful. He said, you were out there carrying on. I, I was so overwhelmed, I didn't know what to say. And I said, well, you never asked me to perform in rehearsal. So then I became a favorite. Did Sweet Charity change a lot in the rehearsal process from what was in the rehearsal room to what was on stage? It did change. Things were added and things were not added. I mean, it was my first Broadway show to be a part of from the beginning. An original. I knew it was, I knew I was working with, with genius people. I mean, Gwen Verne, oh my God, and Bob Fosse, it doesn't get better than that. And uh, the, the wonderful designer, Irene Sheriff, oh. designer and psychoma, Dorothy Field. That's 16 writing lyrics with Jerome Kern. And she learned, now this, is, this goes to show you what a pro is. She knew all of our names in the chorus. She would walk up to us and say hello. I was so impressed yeah. that Dorothy Field would even know my name. And Cy Coleman was really, yeah. I mean, a pal. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm bragging, but this is no, what it's, it's about. Mm-hmm. First day of rehearsal, Cy Coleman came up to me and said, I'm so pleased you're in this show. I love your singing voice. And he said, Bob wanted to hire all of these you know, character people. And I had told him, give me him. I've got to have that voice. Wow. So um, the show opens and we're running in Philadelphia. And they're making changes. They took out Poor Everybody Else and replaced mm-hmm. it with Brass Band, mm-hmm. which we worked on, I think, in Detroit. And uh, so that was a replacement, and uh, they, they did, you know, changes, but nothing drastic. Mm-hmm. And Gwen got sick. She had swallowed down, which one of the coats that the, the movie star lady who goes with Vittorio to yep. the nightclub had worn, and she had swallowed it, got caught in her throat. They took her to the hospital, and Helen Gallagher was the official understudy but never had a rehearsal because she was playing another part in the in the. Uh, Helen had to go on that night. <clears throat> and it was like around New Year's Eve or something like that, as I remember in my mind. And uh, without any rehearsal, and she did. I don't know how she did She's it. She's a pro. But it was such an exciting night. And so we went to a big party afterward, and they told us that Gwen was going to be okay, that she would be back in the show, and, you know, after they got it out of her throat. And so we went to this party, and we all got drunk. And uh, Bob Fosse got us up on the floor, and we were uh, mimicking doing a baseball game. Like he did in Damn Yankees. Yeah. And we walk up and pick up the bat and we were dancing to the music and it was so much fun. And then Cy Coleman went over to the piano and started tinkling and Dorothy Fields went over and sat down and I sat at Dorothy Fields' feet. Yes. And he starts playing his songs and he said, Dorothy, why don't you sing one of your songs? And she sang, Don't Blame Me. I sat there and I just bawled like a baby. I thought, I am sitting here with Cy Coleman and Dorothy Field and she is singing don't blame me. And when she finished the song, I looked up and I said, oh, Dorothy, that was so wonderful. She said, thank you, darling. She said, would you do me a favor? I said, anything. She said, I can't stand up. I'm too drunk. Would you help me up? Get my room key out of my purse. Help me up to my room. 
put me in the room and just make sure that my feet are up on the bed and just leave the key on the nightstand and shut the door when you leave and turn out the lights. So I took Dorothy Field up to her room and put her in bed. <laughs> Dorothy Fields, I should say. And put gentleman. her in the bed and did that. That was my big moment with Dorothy oh. Fields. And she always, for some strange reason during the rest of my career, Whenever she saw me, she always remembered me. And yeah. I was so impressed with her. Mm. What a great lady. And uh, wow. anyway, that's the, Dorothy Fields. But uh, and, and when we opened them, we reopened the Palace Theater with the show, mm-hmm. which was the first time it had reopened yeah. a legitimate house. Of course, the backstage was a mess. Mm. The front of the house was clean, but it was a, it was a wild opening. And, uh, of course, the Needlanders brought everybody down from... Detroit and everybody in town was there for the opening, not a regular audience. And those were the days when you did opening night. The critics came to opening night. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was the old days. And uh, it was, you know, and, and they drug in old carpeting from the alley for us to stand on. They taped mirrors on the wall and put sheets up to divide, you know, where we would dress and stuff. That's how we opened Sweet Charity, not Jeez. like it is in the movies. No, no. So that was no. at the front of the house, looked terrific. Backstage, it was, it was a, a mess. mess. Yeah. But anyway, I should go back to tell you the story when we did our dress rehearsal because it's a good story. Yeah. We were out of town and uh, Gwen had all different costumes for the scenes. We had never seen them. So she had like a, a, a mermaid type dress on that she did the first thing with. And, and I remember being, my memory is lime green with like a purplish uh, skirt underneath it. And, and she had a purse on and fossey. In, in rehearsal, she wore this black slip. It was a lady's under. That's what she wore in rehearsal that she danced in. And she came out in the dress, and Bob said, I hate the dress. It's terrible. I can't see her moving. I can't. And, of course, uh, that started it. And uh, then we got to the Frug number. And we were all in silk mohair, beautifully designed suits. The girls had hand-painted paisley tights. And they all had, we went from beiges to browns, the colors. Yeah. were all there, and they had all these things on them. We started the Frug while the girls were getting their heels caught in the trimmings. They did a plie. The hose went out. In our suits, the silk mohair, we ripped our armpits. The oh. knees went out. The, we ripped our pants. It was like we went through World War II <laughs> when we finished the number. And Fosse was hysterical. Mm-mm. And Irene Sheriff came down the aisle with those sketches. And she said, here, you son of a bitch. You approved all of these cl- things. And you were at the fittings. And she threw them at him. And, of course, during the, the big spender number, when that number, Bob said, stop, stop. What are those dresses? They're so outrageous. And girls don't look like that. They have to be seedy. They're too bright. And, and oh, I mean, it was such a turmoil. He threw out so many of the clothes that night. Wow. And in the Love to Cry at Wedding, they went to the learner's shop there and Philadelphia and got clothes off the rack. But uh-huh. what was wonderful about Irene Sheriff, she was such a pro. And he said, put Gwen in that black dress and she'll wear it through the whole show. Mm-hmm. And that's what she did. Wow. She wore that black dress and they did little things. Mm-hmm. So that's how that black dress happened. And they, they took, and he said, and put all the girls in black sheaths and take the trim and put on. And they got rid of all of the, the colors. We went to black. He said, put the guys in black dance pants and black things. So we all went to the black look. Yeah. And they took the trim and put on. And the stagehands had paint. And these dresses that she had designed, one had, they took paint and sprayed on it to dull down the sheen. Oh my and this one dress had nothing but hand-glued feathers. You couldn't even dry clean it. Yeah. I mean, and of course, Irene Sheriff, very grand. They said, I don't design for a run. I designed for opening night. But boy, to watch her throw those 
things and say you does you approved all these you son of a bitch and she threw them at him i was out in the audience for that one i love that but oh. what i used to do see while the kids were all out smoking and stuff yeah i was back watching everything so when gwen and bobby used to work privately mm -hmm. during rehearsal i'd sneak in the room and just sit and they would let me they never said anything yeah. to watch them because i mean i thought this is a we were watching a great director and choreographer yeah you're You're watching them create it yeah i mean this was something you would never learn in school so i was watching this and i remember one day that bob was doing something then gwen would do it, and he said oh, i don't know if any of this shit is any good he said on you everything looks good oh and he was absolutely right wow he would do it wow. and then she would do it and you would go it's better she just did everything better than any of us. Yeah. And then, of course, I remember one day in rehearsal when she broke down singing uh, Where Am I Going? Yeah. And she started crying. And she said, Bobby, I can't sing this song. Please don't have me sing this song. She didn't want to sing it. And, of course, she did, but on matinee, she used to cut it all the time. Really? Yeah, she never liked it. It was... She didn't Too consider personal. herself to stand still and sing a song, you know. Oh. She wasn't secure that way. She could do character wow. stuff, but that was more. And I and, and also, you know, personal. Barbara Streisand recorded it, so you know, hey, yeah. no one's gonna sing like Barbara Streisand, that's for yeah, sure. That's true. But anyway, uh, that was the, the whole thing. And then uh, my last performance of Sweet Charity, because I was the one who had to pull her out of the lake, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I had to lean over the, the, the proscenium and pick her up. And she wouldn't let me pick her up. She kept putting her feet up in my face and everything. <laughs> so I couldn't get her. She was playing with oh, me. She was just wonderful. What a clown. I yeah. mean, what a, an extraordinary. And then later, after we did the film, and then Fosse, we did a number which you can see on YouTube. It's called Cool Hand Luke. Oh, yeah. yes. Yes. Tijuana Breakfast or whatever. Yeah. One it's of those cool. boys is me. All right. Twins oh, in the middle. And the two of the guys too. are there. I'm the one, I think, on. if you're looking at it, I think I'm the one on the right. Okay. So, Gwen. Vest and I were the two boys. So, I worked with them privately, and that was for a Bob Hope special. Hmm. So, it was just Fosse, Gwen, me, and Buddy Vest for a week. And I can tell you. It was one of the most wonderful times of my entire mm. life to be there and have a dance created on me, Buddy, and Gwen Verdon. Because we all did the same moves yeah. at the same time. And to have that intimacy. For, I'm telling you, I, sometimes in my life, I look back and say, boy, am I lucky. Yeah, I'll say. Boy, am I lucky to have personally had that with them. Wow, wow, wow. Bob Fosse, Gwen Verdon. And next up, Lauren Bacall, yes. another yes. legend. Lauren Bacall. <clears throat> and what happened with that show, I had worked for Ron Field as a dancer. Ron oh, yeah. was not easy. Mm. We've heard this Ron before. can yeah. be yes. mean. One of the, uh, I'm going to do a Ron Field story. I mean, listen, I'd say I told you three days we could be here. First time I auditioned for Ron was when I was in California after doing Juliet's Act the second time. Uh, it was done by Tony Charmley who's a well-known television choreographer, did the Danny Kaye show and the mm -hmm. Dinah Shore show and all. He was the quintessential television choreographer. We became friends. He wanted me to stay and do the Danny Kaye show. So after Juliet's act, I stayed on as a television dancer on the Danny Kaye show, a regular. Wow. And that was as much money that you could make as a dancer. Mm -hmm. Television paid more than Broadway. And, you know, and it was a prestigious job, also a very clean job. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have to do the same show eight times a week. Right. You know, you rehearsed every day. And it was more interesting. You got to meet a lot of celebrities and dance with them. If you only knew what these hands have held and where they've been, let me tell you. <laughs> 11 o'clock uh -huh. show Honey. for that one. That's Honey. our 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock show, Ooh. too. 
My thumbs went right into Juliet Boo-hoo-hoo one night in the act. I had to catch her under a bottom to carry her down and got under my thumbs, just went right in. We left our asses <laughs> off. So, you know, my, my hands, that's just a tidbit. As it were. So we get yes. back to doing... So I stayed in California, did the Danny K show, and I became a well-known television dancer. And then Ernie Flat came out and was going to do the Carol Burnett show. So I did all the television shows. Sometimes I did twice a week because yeah. they shared. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I was in a very lucrative position, but it's not what I wanted to do right. and then one week on the Carol Burnett show Ernie Flats said we're going to do a, a number from the Jungle Book and uh, Carol's going to play Migley or whatever that character and he said and Leroy you and Randy are going to be elephant you would be in the front or the back and I took a beat and I said neither I don't want to be the front or the back and I don't want to do this anymore wow. and he said are you joking and I said no and I'll talk to you after rehearsal today I said I'll do whatever you want me to do Ernie, I'll finish out the week, and you, you can replace me. I said, I, I can't do this anymore. This is not what I have been trained to do, and I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to go back to New York. When I was in California during that period, Ron Field was doing... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline a special and I came into audition and there were only three of us called in because you know they knew all the dancers there and I'm not bragging but of the three boys that were called back I knew I was the better dancer and I wore a pair of blue dance pants a red and white striped shirt Mm -hmm. and white jazz shoes and I wasn't picked I didn't get the job Hmm. And not only did I not get the job, the boy he picked couldn't do it. He took the second choice. So I thought, well, fuck him. And so then I did a a television special with Sid Charisse to drop another name for Tony Charmley. And uh, he had a party. And at the party, Ron Field was a guest. Mm -hmm. And we were going to watch the show that night. And so Ron Field came up to me after the party and said, I owe you an apology. And I said, yes. He said, uh, I didn't pick you for that job because I didn't know who you were. I just couldn't look at you in that flag outfit that you had on. <laughs> you look like a fucking flag, red, white stripes. He said, I'll never, I couldn't look at you. <laughs> and I thought, well, isn't that wonderful? You didn't look at my dancing. You were only interested in what I wore. Yeah, and I said, what a pity. I said, God forbid I could have danced. Yeah. And so I thought, fuck you. That yeah. was it. Well, then later... Now we're back in New York, mm-hmm. and Gwen Vernon is going to be on the Ed Sullivan Show. And who does she ask to be one of her dancing boys? Me. So I get a call, and Ron Field is the choreographer. Mm-hmm. So here we go. <laughs> so I I'm going to wear that outfit this okay. time. Okay, <laughs> certainly didn't. So we go in to do this number, Four Boys, and it's like this Jack Cole takeoff. Oh. She's supposed to be like a harem girl, and mm-hmm. we're doing all that Jack Cole Easton mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Well, I've never done that. Mm-hmm. And Gwen, of course, you know, was his assistant. That's right. And Larry Merritt, another one of the dancers, they had all done that right. style. And Ron Field, too. I didn't know it. Right. So, specific. so they start, and, and of course, I had to come a day late because I, had, a, I was, had another job. But they said it was okay. Because mm-hmm. Gwen really wanted me. So I said, well, I'll just have to catch up. And I saw the number. I said, oh, my God. I said, you've made a mistake. I said, I don't know how to do that. 
And Gwen said, oh, you can do it. I know you can. It's not that hard. I said, Gwen, it's, it's a style. I don't, you hit the floor on the third finger and you, <laughs> anyway, I, I, and, and I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I said, I'll give it the try. Mm-hmm. I said, but Ron, if I can't do it, you can let me go at the end of the day and hire someone else. I'm going to do my best, but it's, I just don't know it. So we spent the day, and I was trying to catch up, and I got part of it. And then Ron, very grandly, then the day said, I'd like to see a run-through of the number. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I knew some of it. Mm-hmm. But we did the number, and he said, Leroy. And I said, yes, Ron, I made a lot of mistakes because it's all very new to me. I said, but having gone through today... I said, I can do it. He said, oh, isn't that wonderful? Leroy is so talented, he can do anything. Nothing is too hard for Leroy Reams. Oh. Well, here, and he f- hissy fitted out of the room, and Gwen said, tell him you won't do it. And he ran out of the room and slammed the door, and Gwen said, I'm not going to let him talk to you like that. Wow. And I said, look, I don't want to start a big trouble here. My God. And she said, I'm not going to let him talk to you like that. That's ridiculous. So anyway... And I said, so what do I do? Do I come back tomorrow? She said, of course you come back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So I came back the next day. And of course, things were a little cool. Yeah. But I learned it. And I mm. did it. See? All right. Fade out on that story. Now, we're to applause. Uh-huh. So, who is the director choreographer? Ron Field. Ron Field. So I thought, well, here we go again. Uh-oh. So I went to audition, but I'm auditioning for a part. Because I had done Will Parker in Oklahoma that summer and that was my first big thing now we can sidetrack that but then get me back to Ron so what happened with uh, Oklahoma there was an agent in town who handled dancers and Mm -hmm. I can't think of his name now Mm -hmm. isn't that terrible but he handled dancers and so I wanted so I found out about him and said I want to do principal work I just don't want to be a chorus boy so anyway uh, I got an audition for Will Parker at Lincoln Center now I had done Will Parker with John Raitt out in Summerstock and Mineola Long Island. And Dennis Cole, who was the choreographer on that job, hired me from an open call. And he was going to be the assistant to Jimsy DeLapp at Lincoln Center, Mm -hmm. who was Agnes DeMille's right-hand gal. And Agnes DeMille was going to, uh, uh, you know... uh, Overlooked the person. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. she was going to supervise. She was going to actually do. Right. uh, Jimsy was going to do all the hard work, and Dennis was going to be her assistant. And Jimsy didn't really know uh, Kansas City, and that, and so Dennis was going to do that. So I was brought in to audition for the Lincoln Center production because of Dennis, because he knew me, and also that I I did get an audition. So I go in now. I'm going to audition for Richard Rogers. Oh, and this is a big deal. And it's at Lincoln Center in one of those big rehearsal rooms. That's where the audition is. So I walk in and I thought, I'm going to show Mr. Rogers that I can really sing. Mm-hmm. So he'll know I'm a singer besides being a dancer. Mm-hmm. So I decided to sing Leonard Bernstein's Lonely Town Oh. to audition for Will Parker. Now, <laughs> serious? How, how dumb can you get? I mean, <laughs> but I was thinking it was a good move because I was going to show up those other yes. people see the logic. singing those. I was going to yeah. really sing. I went, New York, New York. I got it. And he said, Stop! I don't want to hear you sing that song. And I said, Yes, sir. And he said, You have to sing a comedy song. Didn't you bring a comedy song? And I said, well, Mr. Rogers, I know Kansas City, but they told me not to sing any of your songs because you were very particular. And he said, well, you'd sing it in the show. Sing it. And for you and I sang Kansas City. Yeah. And he said, can you dance? And I said, yes, sir. He said, show me. So I did a dance routine, and he said, young man. I said, yes, sir. He said, is there anything you can't do? I said, no, sir, there isn't. <laughs> and I got the job. And I never 
read the character. I never like did you know hey an hour and didn't know because I could do you know a hillbilly accent or oh, well, not yeah. a hillbilly a western accent which is close to being hillbilly. <laughs> I mean I was more like Doris Day and Calamity Jane, but I could do it. <laughs> but I could do it. Totally, that totally, was my totally. image. So anyway, I got the job. Oh my god! Wow. So that was a big deal to me. Who else was in that cast? Lee Beery played Laurie, mm. who is now married to um, Jonathan Tunick. And oh. uh, huh. uh, Bruce Charnell was who was killed in a plane crash. Yeah. And uh, and then Ann Eller was of course Margaret Hamilton, oh my the gosh. Wicked Witch of the oh, And we became such close friends. Oh my gosh! I used to go down and have toasted cheese sandwiches with her. We used to call them grilled cheese, mm. but she called them toasted cheese sandwiches. I used to go down and have lunch with her in her apartment. She was so wonderful to yeah. me. One of the great ladies and signed all of those photographs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boss for all of us and all my nieces and nephews. Oh, how sweet. She had to be one of the most terrific people ever to live. Mm-hmm. How lucky again. Yeah, totally. But that was the, and that was the last in that series at Lincoln Center yes. that he produced. That was the last of the series. Mm-hmm. They didn't do it anymore. And we didn't do an album. No. Mm-hmm. They didn't do an album of it. And that was it. But uh, it was a great summer. And also Susie Farrell, that was during her leaving New York City Ballet. Uh, so I went through all that trauma with her. Yeah. And she was going to come down to New York's theater one night to warm up with me. They wouldn't let her go upstairs. <gasps> really? The guy at the desk wouldn't let her in. He wouldn't let her in? Yeah, because she had been forbidden to come to the theater. Yeah. What an asshole. I said, you can't do that. I said, the, 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 Richard Rogers is leasing this theater. Yes. You know, Balanchine does not own this theater. He Please. can't tell who to come in and out. And Susie said, Leroy, don't get involved. I understand. Wow. And they wouldn't let her come back with me. Isn't that something? Yeah. That's a chapter in the book, too. Yeah, I hope. Okay, so now so, we're, go th- now we're back to applause. applause. So I come in and I audition, and I have a good audition. Yeah. So I get a call from my then agent who said, uh, well, they liked you very much. Mm-hmm. So uh, we think maybe we're going to get an offer. Mm. I said, oh, good, good, good. I was very excited. And, of course, a lot of people said, you shouldn't do that part because it's gay. And mm-hmm. you'll ruin your career. You'll be typecast. And, wow, I mean, I got that. a lot of people telling me that, listen believe it or not. Yeah. And so I didn't think twice about it. What the hell? To play a role in a Broadway show and Ron Field and, you know, all the people connected with it, the Lauren Bacall. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's go down the list of the people on that show. Uh, Charles Strauss, yeah. Lee Adams, some heavy-duty people. And uh, so... Anyway, I went to a, a party that night, and by perchance, Tony Charmley was there. Mm-hmm. And so Tony said, what are you doing, Leroy? And I said, well, believe it or not, Tony, I said, I got to play Will Parker at you know, Lincoln Center, and I'm up for a, a role in applause, and I understand that I'm, I'm maybe going to get it. Wow. And so the next day, I get a call from my agent and said, what are you spreading around town that you're doing applause? I said, I didn't spread it around. I just mentioned it to Tony Charmley. He said, well, they don't want you. Uh, they've decided to go a different way now. You don't have the part. So that was it. So I go back and I call Peter Gennaro and I said, I'm available. And I went back on the Ed Sullivan show as a dancer. Yeah. Very depressed because I had done a role. Now I'm back on the chorus. Right. And uh, so then I got a call from Juliet. She said, I'm doing my act again. Come out and do my act. And I'm thinking, again, that's even going further back. But it was more money than I was making in New York as a TV dancer. So I said I would do it. And it was uh, Easter. Mm-hmm. 
And I wanted to stop and, and no, Thanksgiving, sorry, it was Thanksgiving. I get my holidays mixed up. Thanksgiving. So I wanted to have Thanksgiving with my family in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So I went there, and of course they called, and Julia's choreographer was then her latest boyfriend, who she eventually married. It was her first husband, not, long, not a long marriage. But anyway, he was going to choreograph, and they wanted me to leave immediately. And I didn't want to go. I wanted to stay. And I mm-hmm. said, you know... And it was Mark Mordo, her manager, having on the phone. He said, you know, you get a plane. We'll reimburse you when you get out here. Just go down, get a ticket, come on out to L.A. And I said, I want to spend Thanksgiving with my family, Mark. And, well, we got to start rehearsal. And I said, you know what, Mark? I, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I said, I really don't want to do it. And I, I please tell Juliet I'm so sorry I've waited this long to do it, but I've got to go back to New York. I can't come back and do what I did before. I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So well, you're going to tell Juliet. So I called Juliet, and you know she was nice on the phone. She didn't get to say. And I said, Juliet, please forgive me. I said I can't do it. I can't go back. I've got to go back to New York. I, I've had a taste of what I can do, and I I can't go back and do what I did before. Yeah. And I also knew that I could still make money on the Ed Sullivan Show, right, working for Peter there. Janine. Yeah. So uh, that was it, and I went back to New York, and jumped back in. And of course, it was New Year's Eve. Now this time, Bob and I are together. And Bob is staying with me in my apartment. He had an mm-hmm. apartment downtown, but he stayed with me. And it was New Year's Eve, and I was so depressed. Mm-hmm. And Bob got a bottle of champagne, and uh, we toasted in, in the apartment. And I said, I'm really, this is one of the low points of my life, Bob. I should have had that job with applause. I know I could have done it. And it's very disappointing that I'm back again being a chorus boy mm-hmm. on the TV shows. And we toasted and had the champagne. The next morning, the phone rings. Leroy, uh, Garrett Lewis, who they cast in the show, they replaced, they fired him, and they want you to come to rehearsal. You're kidding me. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I'm not coming to rehearsal without a signed contract. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the offer was not enough money. And I made more money in Julia Prowse's nightclub act. Yeah. And I said, it's not enough money. They said, well, they're letting Garrett go, and he had a year's contract, so they have to pay him off. And, you know, I said, well, that's not my problem. Yeah. That's not my problem. And uh, so Bob is furiously writing on a pad, take the job, take the job, take the job. And I said, I'm going to have to call you back. And I said, what are you doing? Take the job. I don't know what work for. I should be making more money. And, and they treated me like shit, so why the hell did Ron feel a little? And Bob said, no, tell him you'll take the job. Get a shorter contract. Mm-hmm. Tell him six months. You won't sign for a year. You'll stay six months. So I, I come back and I said, well, okay, tell him I'll take the offer, but tell them six months and no year. Well, they won't do that. I said, well, tell them that's the deal. Take it or leave it. <laughs> well, they took it. So I go to rehearsal. The next day, I go to rehearsal, and I walk in, and of course, they're almost into run-throughs. Yeah. So I really had a lot to learn. And see all these people for the first time, and uh, especially Lauren Bacall. Yeah. And she could be very intimidating. Yeah. But I was full of myself enough to be able to stand up. I was ready to go to show Ron Field. Mm-hmm. And Ron said, oh, Leroy, I'm so glad you're going to do the show, and I'm sorry I made a mistake. And I said, that's all right, Ron, I'm here. You know, let's, mm. let's get on. But he said, well, now, you come into the scene here, and you walk into the dressing room, and you don't have any lines until the end of the scene, and then you go over and you stand at the end of the sofa by the closet. And then he said, so you just walk in now, and we'll get on with the scene. And, of course, they're doing the scene, and they're stopping and correcting things and all this and that, and I'm just standing there by the closet. 
And, you know, they're not getting up to my line. And finally, I raised my hand and I said, when does this character get out of the closet? <laughs> well, call laughed. And previously, I'd said to her, "When I, I, I'm getting ahead of myself, I should go back. When I walked into the scene and I said, you know, Miss Bacall, if you don't mind, if I could just fluff your hair, I won't touch it. But, you know, because I can't do that anyway. But I said, so they'll know that I'm. And I said, if I could carry a, a brush and a fall so they'll know what I'm doing and that I'm a hairdresser because they didn't give me any direction. Mm-hmm. And so she looked at me and she said, my friends call me Betty. And I said, Betty? And she said, that's better. So then I went over and stood by the closet. And then the line came. I said, when does this character get out of the closet? Well, she laughed. And that was it. From that moment on, all I can tell you is that we knew each other in a former life. Yeah. Because we clicked. And our scenes clicked. She liked me. Mm -hmm. I liked her. And those characters finally had meaning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I did not play it limp-wristed because that's not what Ron Field wanted. Mm -hmm. Ron Field wanted... Being gay himself, he wanted it to be an, an attractive, normal guy, not a yeah. stereotype, limp-wristed yeah. sissy. Yeah, yeah. You know, he didn't want being. that at all. And the reason he cast Garrett Lewis, Garrett was a tall, very handsome guy and rather straight-looking. Mm-hmm. I mean, Garrett was gay, but he looked straight. And he was also big. And, of course, Lynn Cariou was more character-looking and was smaller. Mm. So you had this big leading man hairdresser, mm-hmm. <laughs> with, and, and it just didn't yeah, fit. No. And also, he wasn't that good of a dancer, mm-hmm. Garrett, at least with what Ron wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't clicking. Wow. So anyway, but Bacall and I clicked. Wow. And I had the humor for it, and I could dance it. And that was it. From that moment on, Bacall and I were Siamese twins. Oh. We went out of town, and I ate with her. And when she and Len started the affair, I was taken out with them. I went out. The three of us used to go out, and I didn't know they were having an affair. <laughs> I mean, and of course, the next day, we, when we went out on one of their first evenings together, we came back in the limousine. And when I got out of the limousine, because Bacall had limousine service, I said, boy, are the kids going to talk tomorrow? Because <laughs> I was getting out of a limousine is what I meant. And she, of course, the next night said, you sly puss. I said, <gasps> what do you mean? said, you know what's going on between me and Lynn. Why do you think I let you come with us? I didn't know. But I thought, well, if she thinks I'm that smart, why not let her think it? <laughs> so, you know, that was it. And so we became, you know, went through everything. And I was with her all the time. We became the characters on stage. We became those characters off stage. And I was with her. And as a matter of fact, in... Uh, Charles Strauss's book. He talks about a Life magazine thing in his book about, and Leroy and Betty came in because they were always together. And it was mm-hmm, true. Mm-hmm, They've been mm-hmm. place together. Yeah. And when we came back to New York, of course, the relationship with Lynn was to end, but it was agreed to. It wasn't a big thing because Lynn told her, I you know, live with Roberta Maxwell and I'm going to resume my relationship and this is an out-of-town thing and that's it. And she accepted it. She accepted it. So, But what was interesting then... I became much more her confidant mm-hmm. with all of that because I was privy to all of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, she liked having me around. And when we got back to New York, the Palace Theater, then the stage door was inside. Mm-hmm. And there was an L-shaped alley. Now mm-hmm. it's on the outside mm-hmm. of 47th. Back then it wasn't. So after the show, there was no one there to get Betty to her car. Huh. People used to come in there, you know, sign autographs, and she was Jeez. alone. And I said, Betty, you should be out there by yourself. She said, well, what am I going to do? No one's going to take me. You know, the stage manager wants the doorman. Well, I said, wow. I'll take you. Wow. She said, you will? I said, yeah. I said, I'll come down after the show and walk you out to your car. So that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. 
And she said, well, then I'll give you a lift. So then what would happen, I would come down after the show, have a drink, meet all these swell people, mm-hmm. and then to walk out the limousine and get a ride home. I mean, what's better than that? <laughs> I mean... And sometimes we'd stop at Nathan's and get a hot dog, yeah. <laughs> go home and have Chinese food on the bed and watch TV. I mean... That's pretty perfect. I was having a terrific time, and we were, you know, having a good, good time. Yeah. But anyway, and, and the story with the poster, yeah. I started earlier, and it was with uh, Oklahoma. I had Richard Rogers sign my Oklahoma poster and no one else. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anyone else's name on the poster because I usually wanted to have everybody's name who's on the poster sign the poster. Yes. That was my gimmick. But with Richard Rogers, that was such a big deal to me. I just wanted Richard Rogers, which was even better. Oh. <laughs> so I no one else's name was going to go on that. But then on applause, you know, I thought I oh, will have everybody's name. Mm-hmm. I had everybody but Betty Comden. So one day after, uh, during the matinee, I knew that Betty was coming, and she was going to come up to the Anne Frank dressing room, which is the one I had. <laughs> she would you know, go down and see Bacall, and that would be it. So anyway, uh, so I said, Betty, can I leave my poster here, and would you tell Betty to sign it? She yeah. said, yeah, yeah, just leave it here. So then after the matinee, I run down the stairs, and knock on the door, and I come in, and I said, did Betty sign? She said, yeah, she did, not Leroy, I want to introduce you to Ingrid Bergman. Well, my teeth almost dropped well, out. Well, yeah. You know, there's Ingrid Bergman, and she said, why don't you have Ingrid sign your poster? And I thought, well, she's not in the show. That now, that's what sense. I'm thinking, but what am I going to say? <laughs> so I said, oh, Miss Bergman, would you mind? She said, oh, no, and she signed the poster. And Betty said, leave it here. And everybody that you meet will have them sign your poster. That's why all those names are on there. That's classy. So those are all the people that I met. And then there was an unsung thing that Betty and I had. If she was going to go out with people or the plans were made, I would excuse myself if I knew she was going to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. And uh, most times I went along, especially Mm -hmm. when we were on tour. When we were on tour, I was with her. The whole time. I was her escort yeah. all the time. And as a result of that, I spent evenings with Jack Benny, Bob Hope, uh, Natalie Wood, uh, Robert Wagner. Yeah. I mean, some uh. so, you know, I was introduced to a whole other world yeah. because of Bacall. And we became extremely, extremely close. And then when she was getting ready to go into it, and of course, when Ann Baxter came in, mm. or before Ann Baxter came in, here's another good story. To replace Lauren Bacall, they had everybody, and Rita Hayworth. They were going to bring in Rita Hayworth to replace Bacall with the agreement that she would go into uh, a little rehearsal period, and she could have an out, or the producers could have an out if she couldn't do it. Mm. They had to find out if she was capable of doing it. Right. So she was like a trial period. They were right. going to bring her in, put her up at the Plaza Hotel. She was going to be rehearsed, and then she was going to audition. Now, of course, I was dying to meet Rita Hayworth. Oh, yeah. I thought, oh, my God, please, can I go rehearse with her? They, no, 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 Lily, where you can't. It's just, you know, the, just the, the, the assistant choreographer and the assistant director. You can't, you know. So I wanted to meet her. So I did get an autographed picture. Mm-hmm. And Ron Field's lover, Tommy Rolla, was the one who was working with the dance captain and all of that. So uh, she auditioned, and, of course, she couldn't remember things. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. obviously... It was the beginnings of Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. but they didn't know. They thought she was a drunk. I'll never forget Joe Kipnis, one of the producers, saying, Rita Hayworth, fucking Rita Hayworth. 
You should see the bills I got at the Plaza Hotel with Rita Hayworth and room service. I'll tell you. And after a week at the fucking Plaza Hotel, my daughter, 10 years old, saw the show twice. She knew more lines than Rita Hayworth after a week at the Plaza. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So oh. funny. Oh so I never got to meet Rita Hayworth, but I got her, her, guy yeah. got her, her an autograph photo. So then, of course, <clears throat> they got Ann Baxter, right. who was having to catch up because now she's on the wire. So finally, my first day of rehearsal with Ann Baxter, I'm brought into rehearsal and she was like a deer caught in the headlights. And we were doing that first little thing in the the gay bar scene. And Eddie Nolfi, who was the dance guy, was like a little Hitler. Eighth count on the eighth bar, step, touch to the right, touch to eighth count, two, the three, seven, eight, nine, ten. Well, of course, she was just totally confused. I said, honey, all it is is Walk, 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 touch. Walk, 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 touch. She said, is that what he's telling me to do? I said, that's what it is. Walk, 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 touch. She said, and you will not leave my side this moment on. So the same thing that happened with the call happened with Ann Baxter. And then during that period, my mother was dying Mm. with a heart condition. And she was in the hospital, and Bacall was leaving the show, and Baxter was opening it. It was mm-hmm. over a weekend. Betty closes Saturday. Mm-hmm. She opens Monday night. And I went back to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. My mother's dying. Of course. So the producers called and said, you've got to come back. Betty's having a fit. She hates the understudy, and she's hysterical that you're not going to be here for her closing. And Ann Baxter doesn't want to open unless you're in the part. And Leroy, you've got to do this. Oh, my gosh. My mother is dying. What are you talking about me coming back for a show? And my sister said, now you know what mom would say. And my mother was in a coma by that time. They said, you know what mom would say. I said, I know what mom would say. Do your show. They said, so why don't you go back? She's not dead. And maybe you can go back and do it and come back and everything will be, you know. So that's what I did. Wow. So I get my airline ticket that I paid for. I flew back to New York. I closed Bacall, rehearsed with Ann Baxter, and she opened that Monday night. And then I flew back the next day. But as I'm going through the opening night with Ann Baxter, on my dressing table was an envelope with an airline ticket and a hundred dollars. No, no note. I knew who it was from. It was Ann Baxter. I knew. Wow. Oh. So I went down in her dress. I said, oh, Leroy, please. She doesn't want you to know she did it. She feels so badly about your mother. I said, no, I have to say thank you. That was a swell thing to do. The producers didn't pay for it, but she did. Oh. Ann oh, Baxter. Lee. Now Bacall is going to go on tour. Yeah. And I'm asked to go on tour. Yes. Lynn, of course, has already left the show. Mm-hmm. Penny has left the show. Yeah. And no one is going on tour with Betty. And she has to have me. But I said, you know, I'm also very happy being here with Ann Baxter. And I'm living in New York. And and I said, so I don't want to leave New York. I mean, I love living in New York. I don't want to go on tour. The producer said, now, if you go on tour with Betty, we're going to do a new show called Seesaw. And Cy and Dorothy love you. And they've written a song for you called It's Not Where You Start, It's Where You Finish. Uh And and your audition will only be if... So I come back from tour and I'm ready to walk in for the part that was designed for me. Yeah. And I go in, and oh, Ed okay. Sharon, 
is the director, who I do not know. Yeah. So I come in to audition, and guess what? Ed Sharon doesn't like me. So I don't get the part. And my then agent, who was actually Bacall's agent then, it was Peter Whip, and they said, Leroy, we'll tell you what's going to happen. This show's going to go out of town. The first person they're going to fire is Ed Sharon. He can't direct a musical. And the second person they're going to fire is the guy they hired to do your part. He's okay, but he's not you. And the producers, and they all love you, uh-huh. so they'll bring you in out of town. Well, guess who they replaced Ed Sharon with? Michael Bennett. Who was Michael Bennett's <laughs> assistant but Tommy Toon? When they got rid of the director, they fired the guy playing the part. Bam. Who was there? Tommy Toon. So that was the end of that story. Join us for part two of our interview with the legendary Leroy Reams next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.